When you begin to learn about God, there is a domino effect. In a constant progression of if-then, 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 we are constantly expanding our understanding. You can't compartmentalize your faith if you really want to experience everything the gospel has to offer. Believe me, I've tried. Let me share a little something. In planning the first few episodes, I knew they needed to connect, but what I wasn't prepared for was for it to be one continuous conversation that bled into one another, going into depths of faith that I had never put together. If we know God, it affects our identity. Our identity is based in relationship, and our relationships can make up the church. Today we're exploring the next domino, which is the church. It makes sense, right? We learn who we are on an individual level, then how we relate to others, and how those relationships make up a collective. Church cannot exist in the singular. I'm your host, Nicole Dominguez, and this is Faith Reconstructed. The church is meant to be a safe, developmental sphere of diverse individuals coming together to live like Christ. But a lot of people haven't had that. Stories of Hillsong, Mars Hill, Joel Olstein, prejudice, sexual, verbal, and emotional abuse on the personal and public level have shaped a narrative surrounding church culture that cannot and should not be ignored. One of the reasons I made this podcast was for dear friends who left the church due to severe religious trauma. This isn't a petition for those who have been hurt to sweep their pain under the rug or invalidate their experiences, but a way to show them what it was meant to be and what the church can be. In this way, this episode is also for those creating church spheres, acting as a reminder of how to build spaces that are honoring to the God we proudly serve. So whether you're a believer or a non-believer, I invite you to deconstruct everything you think you know about the church and start at square one. What is square one? Ask yourself this. What is the church? So the church, to me, through I've seen in scripture and study, is a body of believers who are called out from the world to Jesus. This is Pastor Elizabeth McDonald. She is currently a pastor at Loma Linda Church in California. And as a friend and one of her former congregants, she's the person you'd want to explore this topic with. We see this in scripture because in in Acts, we see that 120 people are gathered together and they have this mission and this passion for Jesus and spreading the Holy Spirit and, and spreading the good news. And they enter into the world and they create disciples and they start leading and guiding people into this walk with God. And so uh, the word for church in Greek, It is ekklesia, and ek means out of, and klesio means to call. And so literally the definition of church is to call out or the call out of people from the world to Jesus. So if the definition is that, then the church should be that as well. This links perfectly to something that blew my mind when I was going through the reconstruction of my faith. I was drawn to verses like Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And Galatians 3.28 saying, you are neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. But I felt uncomfortable by how exclusive the Israelites were. They seemed closed off from the rest of the world, and I saw a repetition of that narrative within some modern churches. 
Then I read the Old Testament again. Reading the Bible as a singular narrative and familiarizing myself with the character of God, I noticed how God was encouraging the Israelites to invite others in, not in an us-versus-them model, but in a way that expanded the community. They were meant to live in a way that was attractive to others, caring for the less fortunate because they are your equal in value, being financially literate, advocating social justice through ethical legislation, providing rest for everyone in your household, including the servants and the animals, practicing sustainable farming, relieving debts, and so, so much more. This is something that the early church finally started to live after Christ reminded us what God told them to do the first time, which was to invite everyone. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, they encouraged one another, new and old believers, in how to live this new life in Christ. In Acts 6, they recognized underserved members of their community and built teams to provide practical support. This is just the tip of the iceberg of an exceptional example of the early church in action. So by understanding the character of God, we understand the mission that he has set out for us along with the tone that he has intended for us to have in that mission too. So in order to understand the character of God, we first have to know God. As you're saying, we have to be in relationship with him. When I was in college, I had the opportunity of being one of the only women in a lot of classes with a lot of these guys. And there was this one specific class that I remember taking. It was Christian theology. I would sit back and I, I would watch these, these guys engage in conversation and, and watch how they learned. And I would study with them and I would talk with them and I would listen to them. And as I took these classes with them, I would not only know who they were, but through knowing who they were, I would understand their passion and their excitement and their mission of why they wanted to go into pastoral ministry. And so when we look at this example, we can do the same with God as well, is we can walk alongside God and first knowing who he is, sitting down and studying his word, listening to what he is telling us day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, and then also just waiting to hear what he has to say. And so by knowing him, we then can get to know his mission and his character. In the last episode, we mentioned how God is a relational being. He is, as the Godhead, a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we read Acts 1 and 2, Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit, telling them they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all the earth. Then at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out over the people, and each person can hear the disciples speak in their native language, it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And ironically, by God providing the Holy Spirit the original intent of Babel, which is to reach God— is met. The difference is, rather than them thinking they will reach God physically through their own work, God is extending himself intimately and personally. This also allowed the disciples to connect with others, building a bridge of communication to expand community and build the church with the aid of the Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity. These moments expose who God is and what he wants for us. So as we continue to study about God's character and look into scripture, I think of 1 John, first of all, that talks a lot about the the character of God. We see that it lists him as the light within the darkness. 
We see Psalms that talks about him being gracious and compassionate. We see uh, also in First John that it literally says that God is love, as you've been saying. And so as we look at scripture and start to identify his character, start to know him, when I'm studying something specifically in scripture, I'll take like a colored pencil of some kind. And as I'm studying, say I'm studying this character of God, I will highlight and underline those things. And so as I struggle in a certain area, I can go back in scripture and be like, wow, all of the things that are underlined are the character of God. And this is what I need to be more like. As we look at the character of God and look at discipleship of reminding ourselves to know God, but to understand his character and then thus seeing his mission. The tip to underline God's character traits is a good one. You can do the same when studying Jesus, summarizing his interactions or parables and sermons in one word and see how they connect to God's characteristics because, well, Jesus is God. I once heard it said that if your internal and emotional picture of God doesn't look like the Jesus of the gospel, then your picture is incorrect. Because God wants us to have healthy community, he provided an example A blueprint, if you will, on how to best build relationships that will then foster a community called the church. It is an other-centered group, a sphere that isn't meant to be insular but open to others. That's why church and discipleship must be referenced in tandem. Discipleship isn't an item on the checklist found within the how-to-be-Christian agenda, but a natural result of experiencing peace and transformation. We're called to be disciples because God never wants his word to be exclusionary ever again, both towards the world or each other. And that's why it's one of the main pillars of being a church. I think discipleship is one of the most fundamental things that we can do within the church. (laughs) I think it's like it, it has to happen. It has to be a natural reflex for each and every single one of us. I mean, Jesus's ministry started out as discipling others. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, we see that the disciples then went out and discipled. And it was just this natural reflex, this ripple effect into the rest of the world. And I think that's what we as Christians need to do in order for the church to continue on and to grow and to be this beautiful thing of reflecting God and his character. Knowing the character of God does wonders when it comes to acting as a kind of mythbuster guideline on the church and discipleship. When we know who God is, not who we think he is or an extension of our own hurt, we can have better clarity. It helps us focus and not get lost in majoring in the minors. I know a lot of us who were raised in the church or are currently in the church have witnessed internal politics, administrative agendas, or personal opinion take the place of gospel truth. When this happens, church can run the risk of becoming rigid. I think when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to worship, when it comes to anything related to the church, I think we have to be very specific in looking at what are our intentions when we're coming to all of those things. As we're looking at the building blocks of each of those things, am I coming to a situation, to a place, to a conversation, to a worship service with the intentions that I'm going to reflect God's character in the words, thoughts, and actions that I take? Am I going to align myself? 
myself with the mission that God has for me and his church as we move forward. And as we look at my personal intentions, and that's not just a a collective body uh, deep dive. This is not a therapy session for the church (laughs) to collectively come into. This is an individual conversation that each and every single one of us have to have daily is saying, are my intentions true and aligned with the character of God and the mission of his church? And as soon as we start to look at some of those things, I then think it we come to a place that says, hey, you have a different gift and talent. That's amazing. Let me pour into you and support you best I know how, but I am going to come to you with a, with a alignment in who God is and his mission. And I can support you and I can encourage you and all of that. What do you think church is? What has been your internal definition of church? Too often we have made church an institution. It is a structured organization with a hierarchy and expectations, a sphere in which we must be perfect as the price of entry. Unfortunately, quote-unquote, church can become a building where people gather once a week to mask their problems and cosplay as a morally righteous individual. This could have been the example that shaped your image of the church. And sometimes we lay the blame on others for not creating a church environment welcoming to you, but ask ourselves this, am I creating the environment I want to see? Then COVID hit. It is amazing how little we realize our own internal structuring until it is challenged or outright removed. Without the ability to physically gather, we had to pivot. And for some, it meant the beginning of truly becoming a church. I think that coming from a pastor's perspective, COVID really brought challenges. But I have to say that I experienced Sabbath during COVID in a whole new light. Um, And it was a beautiful experience for me. It was a growing experience for me. Not to say that I, I don't love going to church on Sabbath. I do. I do. But it gave a different perspective um, than I had experienced before. And so I think that many people, and, and I've talked to some that say the same thing is like, wow, COVID made me stop and reset what my intentions were on why I'm going to Sabbath, where why I'm going to a church building. And some people may have come out of that experience saying, wow, that small group feel is something that I want to continue in. Or some people may have come out of it and said, man, I've really missed this like different style of worship. That's what I really need to bring my heart back in alignment with, with God's character and God's mission. And so as we've kind of taken this like pause to figure out our, our thoughts and styles, I think it's really important to remember in our conversations that all of us connect with God in different ways. We all have a different way of, of, of feeling his presence and, and experiencing his beauty. And that's not bad. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it's so beautiful that different churches have different styles of worship because then we can go to a church in which we can feel God's presence. What Elizabeth is referring to is the integration of church and the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a holy day set apart by God for rest and worship. It is a day of restoration and celebration of our salvation, meant to reconnect us to God and each other. We will be exploring the wonders of the Sabbath in another episode, but for now, many of us see church as a building where congregants collect to worship on this day once a week. And for some, 
how you worship as a church on the Sabbath can be an opportunity to find like-minded believers. If I went to a church that had like total rock band all the time, like if people <laughs> have a relationship of, of how they, that's how they feel God's character and God's mission, like good for you. That's yeah. not how I connect with God. So I'm going to be intentional with placing myself in an environment in where I can grow closer to God, no matter the style. So um, I think it's an uncomfortable conversation to say like, hey, if, if your church isn't meeting that need, then it's okay to go somewhere else. And it doesn't mean that we're abandoning those people. Yeah. Like just because we leave a church doesn't mean that like we can't be friends with those anymore. But like let's let's continue to seek out where God is leading each of us to grow in our intentions of knowing him. Too often, we can forget that our personal preferences are not synonymous with divine truth. This is where the religious leaders started to make church an institution with a strict set of rules rather than a community of believers. COVID broke the church open and underwent a holy trial by fire that led to some really amazing results. Though, yes, some fought the change and might have seen churches closing as an attack on religious liberties, we also saw a revival of the early church. Through digital platforms, some communities became even more intentional in their communication. In times of universal change, we were given a rare push to get back to the basics of church. People could be vulnerable about their struggles, opening up to the church members they've known for years, bonding over ways they've come to depend on God, or be honest about their frustration. We got to live a Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 church experience. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day grow near. But there are some who do not make church a safe space. So I was probably a freshman or sophomore in college, and I remember our pastor was really into door-to-door ministry. So it was literally knocking on doors <laughs> and being like, hi, I'm from such and such church, and I just uh, wanted to say hello. And what we would do is we would bring loaves of bread, and we would just drop it off at their door. We wouldn't take tracks or anything like that. We would just meet the needs of the community by giving them a loaf of bread. And so as we did this, we met this wonderful woman, and I'll call her Susie Smith. And Susie Smith really we met her at a time and place where she really wanted to connect again with a church. And so we kind of took her under our wing, our family, and we had her over for lunches. We had Bible studies with her. We just like, we got to know her so, so well. And Susie Smith came to us and said she had been struggling with drugs for a while. And so she had been balancing through that. And so she really appreciated the community consensus that we had in our church church as we walked alongside her in this journey. And so we would take her to church. Again, we would have her over for lunches and all of these different things. And my mom would often have to stay at home to take care of my uncle and sister because they had Down syndrome. And so my dad and I would take her to church or take her to Bible study on Wednesday nights. 
I remember one Sabbath, I was in the church library, which was right outside the lobby and and hearing the head deacon and a group of deacons talking about how my dad was cheating on my mom with this woman that we had taken under our wing. These people had really not known (laughs) her at all. They didn't know the relationship we had with her or anything like that. But they were blatantly talking about this, this really heavy topic in the middle of church. And so I overheard this conversation and I never said anything to anybody for years and years and years. And I think that Uh, I could have easily been like, wow, this is what the church is about? (laughs) Yikes, I'm not coming back to that. And, And there was many times where I reflected on that situation. And so I'm not saying that everyone has that same experience. Maybe you have personally been hurt or you have been hurt by somebody that you have overheard saying something about you or your family, or maybe you have been hurt by a leader or even a pastor saying something to you. And those are really heavy things to take in and they should be talked about. They should be worked through. Unfortunately, this is a common occurrence for many people who have been a part of the church. If you want to address it, how do you begin? I think the first step to take is to find somebody that you feel is safe uh, in your sphere of life and to talk to them about it to not hold it in, but to find somebody safe to talk through this hurt with. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we have a church. That's why we have a body of believers so that we do not walk alone. I know I've had people come to me who have been hurt by by leaders and pastors even. And my first thing is is to apologize to them as part of the church. (laughs) I have to take ownership and say, I may have not specifically hurt you, but I, I want to apologize so that we can all do better moving forward. And so find somebody who is safe and then work through that process of forgiveness with them and allow them to be that person who you can count on when those hard days come or when you're struggling in in finding forgiveness or struggling with finding a place to feel safe within the church, they can be that go-to person. So we're not meant to, to walk this journey alone. We're meant to walk it side by side. Maybe at this point in time, you don't have anyone within the church you feel safe with. Perhaps you left the church a long time ago and have been wary of Christian spheres ever since. If you have a Christian friend you feel comfortable with, then start there. But if you don't have an individual in your life to address this with, find a counselor who will give you an unbiased perspective. Or find a community or ministry that's attractive to you and reach out. Even if you feel unpracticed, pray over it. However, if you want to address it so you can explore the possibility of finding Christians who will walk with you and support you, this is a good place to start. When you choose to leave or know that this place is no longer a place of safety and growth for you, it's essential, as you're saying, to leave with a spirit of, of recognizing that that you're you're taking this next step moving forward and you're going to pray for them. <laughs> and I don't mean that in like a sassy, like pray for those people, but you're going to pray that, that God may show his character to them and through them even more. I knew when I began to take my faith seriously and slowly get out of autopilot that my perspective on things would change. 
I was prepared for it. What I wasn't prepared for was the frustration. You see, the deeper and deeper I went into learning how God was even better than I thought he could be and the intricate simplicity that dominates the gospel narrative, the more and more frustration I felt with the church. I have known exceptional people of God who are living examples of Christ-centered faith, my parents and grandparents, surrogate aunts and uncles within my local church who will drop what they are doing to pray over you, will listen to you about anything, and for those individuals, I will forever be grateful. I have also witnessed churches or public figures who claim to be Christian warp, abuse, and misrepresent Christianity, using it as a shield to hide their own corruption. And it's devastating. I have too many close friends who have suffered deep religious trauma at the hands of their childhood churches and are still bearing the ramifications well into adulthood. Speaking from experience, I know that the actions of many people claiming to be Christian are some of the greatest reasons people choose to leave not only the church, but Christianity altogether. It is said one of the best places to hide from God is in religion. In Matthew 7, 16 through 27, we are reminded that by the fruits of the Spirit, we will know them. Think of it this way. If someone doesn't eat animal products, but abuses animals, wears leather, and says they're a vegan, they aren't a vegan. They're plant-based at best. Why? Because just saying you're a vegan, knowing all the arguments, and ignoring the main incentive doesn't make you a vegan. Action must be taken from an authentic intention. In the same way, someone calling themselves a Christian and attending church doesn't always mean they're a Christian. That title is an honored identification shown through someone who lives like Christ, and that means extending grace with humility. If we want a church that aligns with God's goodness, providing a community of peace and encouragement, we have every right to look for it. Yeah, we're sinful human beings, and sometimes we like to make sure that everything is perfect and we have the best slides or the best songs, and we like to make sure everything is ready for, you know, live television. We like everything perfect, and I think that sometimes our intentions in worship can be overshined by this need for perfection. And so when when we start to have that happen, we have to take a look at our intentions and our alignment with the character and mission of, of God and who he is. And so absolutely, I think it's it's okay to step back and to recognize that. And again, we're sinful human beings, but that is not a excuse to then relook at our lives and say, am, am I aligned in the proper position to show Jesus in everything that I do? The truth is, there are no perfect people, which means there is no perfect church that can avoid the conflicts that come with being human. It is in the imperfection that Christ followers and the Christ curious can encourage one another. We're all living by faith. If anything, being a Christian is a great equalizer. Church is a community of people, not a place. There is a well-known quote that says, The church is a hospital for the healing, not a museum for the perfect. Remembering that this is meant to be an arena where people can simply focus on Christ and Christ alone. Relationships are the key of our church, of, of who we are as a body of believers. It's not just a one-day check mark. It's yeah. not just a one-day thing. Like relationships and, and friendships and parenting, like could you imagine if your parents were like, 
sorry, kid, I only parent one day a week. Like, <laughs> and they just like took off the rest of the six days. And so because of the body of believers are meant to fellowship daily, it's, it's more than just daily or more than just once a week. We then have a job, as you're saying, to be honest and transparent with others, but then to accept with what they are saying as well. And I think in our humanness, we focus on the definition of church instead of the actions and characteristics of God. And so I I think of the fact that like in the New Testament, church, the word church is used like a hundred times, but the word love is used like 500 plus times. And so even scripture is saying, hey, I want you to know about this word church. Like I want you to know about, and this is not church structurally. This is church body of believers. (laughs) This is church us. But I also really want you to focus on, on loving one another of, of the characteristics of God. And I'm sure that if we looked at the other characteristics of God, they probably outweigh the word church. So continuing to realize that, yes, we are a body of believers who come together, but our intention needs to be so centered on reflecting that character so that when a mishap happens, when you see a friend going down a road theologically or or anything like that, that you can be honest and open with them because you've built that relationship, (laughs) that you've checked in on them. You're not just seeing them once a week and looking them up and down because they're wearing pants on Sabbath. No, 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 no. This is far past this. This is this is building a relationship with them with the foundation of true intentions centered on God's character and God's mission. Being without a community of emotionally and spiritually mature believers can be lonely. As mentioned, we are meant for relationships, especially relationships that encourage us in our spiritual walk. Proverbs 27:17 reminds us iron sharpens iron. This is a mutual relationship of loving accountability. The accountability isn't to shame you, but because they recognize not guiding you with love would be doing you a disservice. Getting advice from a stranger versus getting advice from my mom is going to mean two very different things for me. One is from someone who doesn't know me or my personality, whereas the other is someone who I love, trust, and knows me deeply. The church is built of relationships that have been earned. As we've gone back to the first question that you ask, what is the church? The church is a body of believers who are called out of the world to Jesus. It's not just one individual and then the rest of their to listen to that individual. That's not the case at all. But it's it's a body of believers, a group of people coming together. And we're sinful as we've talked about, so we don't always get it right. But we have to remember it's a group of people coming together to focus on this beautiful, beautiful Savior that we have. I encourage you to read through Acts, search for verses surrounding the church, and allow them to be the blueprint for reconstructing our understanding of what church means. You will see a body of believers that are new, confused, but as Elizabeth said, intentional. So how did we get from the pure passion found in the early church to the strict institution it feels like today? That question will be answered in the next episode. Consider this an appetizer, a teaser, an introduction to a deeper discussion on the evolution of the Christian church through history. I'll see you next time. 
February 10, 2023, with Dr. Trevor Reggio when we return to document church history and its shaping of our image of God. I'm your host, Nicole Dominguez, and I'll see you next year when we continue to explore faith reconstructed. Thank you. You've been listening to Faith Reconstructed. Each episode is hosted, written, and produced by me, Nicole Dominguez, edited by Katrina Simbaku, logo design and social media by Chelsea Ernina, tech and equipment support by Steve Husett and James Gigante, project support by Heather Moore, special thanks to the North American Division and the Adventist Learning Community for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. An Adventist Learning Community Podcast.